And again, I'm so glad you're here. You're actually here on week number two of a series we're doing called Your Mess Matters, Your Mess Matters. Uh, many of you already know this because you jumped into week one with this last Sunday, but let me catch everybody up on the same page, literally the same page, because the title of this message series comes from a fantastic book uh, written by one of our very own, Luke Lazan. As a matter of fact, Luke and his wife, Lindsay, are a part of our South Metro Atlanta uh, campus family. Uh, they're here today. Come on, would you bless them? Luke jumped into the first week of the series, kicked off the whole message for us, and uh, he wrote this book, and he gave me an advanced copy some months ago, and I didn't get very far into the book when I realized quickly that the Lord would want us to, uh, to jump into this as a series. And so he gave me permission and he gave me the rights to the title and uh, my lawyer has been in touch with him. So all is good. But at both campuses today, we've got plenty of books available for you. Uh, we want you to pick up a copy of the book. Let me say one more thing and then we'll jump into the content. I'm not preaching the book. I'm not preaching the book. The book preaches itself. I'm preaching about my own mess my own journey, my own stuff, my own lessons learned. Uh, and what I really believe you need, if you find yourself in a messy place, uh, really you need the Bible, come on now. You need this book, Your Mess Matters, and you need these messages to really encourage you that, and it is the title, that your mess does matter. Your mess really has meaning. Now, some great news if you're here today at our South Metro campus, because Luke is in the room, uh, he'll be signing some copies after the gathering. So you can, you, both campuses, you can get a copy on Amazon, but you can't get one signed on Amazon. Come on now. So you'll get some more information about that. But are you ready for the word? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Nudge your neighbor and tell them, say, it's going to be a good day just for you. All right? It's going to be a good day just for you. In preparation of week number two, I came across this story that I thought I would share with you uh, to kind of set the tone for the remainder of this discussion. The conversation is about a wise old man that lived in a far off village. And most of the villagers would oftentimes come to the wise man for counsel, wise counsel. And on this particular day, it was familiar to the old wise man as most days. A large audience gathered around him and they sat at his feet and he recognized the faces and he also recognized the stories because they would always bring to the wise old man their complaints. And so this day they said, here's my complaint and here's my situation and here's my mess and they sought counsel from the wise old man. Well, on this day, he made a decision. He sat back in his seat and he paused for a moment to create some awkward silence. And then he leaned forward and they leaned in from the audience and he told them a joke. At the end of the joke, everybody sitting at the feet of the wise man roared in laughter. And then he sat back. He paused, created a few more moments of awkward silence. And then he leaned up and they leaned in and he told them another joke. But it was the exact same joke that he had just told. Now only a few people in the audience laughed and he sat back for the third time and they were waiting on something profound and then he leaned up and they leaned in and for the third time he told them the exact same joke. Now no one in the audience laughed and the old wise men sat back and he said these words, just like you can't laugh at the same joke over and over and over again because eventually it will get old. Why do you choose to continue to complain about your same problems over and over and over again? Come on, that'll preach already and I'm just getting started. 
Now, I know that this is really early in the, in the message, and so this is going to kind of be like a right hook, but it's a holy hook. Come on, somebody. I want to ask you this question because you make the choice. And why do we choose to continue to complain about our mess? Listen to me. Nobody is exempt from mess. Nobody's exempt from storms. Nobody's exempt from stuff. Jesus said, in this world, you will have messes. Messes are inevitable. But let me tell you what I've learned from my own life. Complaining has never helped one bit. No, complaining about my problems, complaining about my messes, complaining about my frustrations only adds anxiety to the equation. Complaining about my situation only adds fear to the equation. Never one time as I survey my life's history have I recognized that my complaints fixed the mess that I'm in. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Never once. Uh, You've heard, if you've been around church for a while or even at this church, you've heard us talk about the story of the children of Israel. And I think their story really is so much, there's so much similarity between their mess and some of our messes. So let me catch you up to speed. So the children of Israel, they're in captivity. They're slaves in Egypt to the evil ruler Pharaoh. God says to Moses, I'm going to use you to let my people go. And you know this, but God spoke to Moses through a burning bush experience. If God wants to get your attention. He's going to get your attention. Well, God, God speaks to Moses and Moses speaks back to God. And Moses says, hey, I know they're in a mess, but you can't use me. I've got my own mess. I stutter. I don't speak well. I don't have eloquent speech. And God says, no, I have chosen you to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let God's people go. You can read the story in Exodus. So Moses finally is submissive to the call that's on his life. And he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh just really wrestles with the idea of letting the children of God go free. And Moses does what so many of us do when we find our mess not getting cleaned up. Moses complains. Exodus chapter five, this verse number 23 here. Moses says this. God, ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he's done harm to the people and you have not kept your word. Ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. God, you promised me that this would be the end result. And here I am trying to be obedient to you. But but I don't see I don't see the promise. I see the problem. I don't I don't see the miracle. I I see I see the mess. And God says, all you have to do is just trust me. Well, eventually, through the plagues that God sent to get the attention of Pharaoh, the children of Israel, they're set free. And now, lean in for a second, they're headed toward their promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. Could you imagine this newfound freedom that they're about to enter into after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of being slaves? But here's the problem. On the way to their promised land, Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends the Egyptian army to go get them. And so the the children of Israel are trying to hurry to get to the promised land and they come to a place of opposition. They come in the middle of the desert to this moment where they recognize that that we are completely surrounded. Chasing us is the Egyptian army and Pharaoh and in front of us is the massiveness of the Red Sea. And in this moment of opposition, and I would say they're in quite the mess, wouldn't you? In this moment of their messy life's situation, they complain. Imagine that. 
And this is what the Bible says. Follow with me in Exodus chapter 14 in your Bible. As Pharaoh got closer, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were coming after them. You ever feel that way? Like, man, I'm trying to trying to get away from the mess, but the mess is just running me down. And they became frightened. I've been there. The mess can be scary. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then this is what they said here. here here's kind of the complaint right here. Is this not the, let me go backwards, one verse, sorry. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why, why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? And I want you to see what they're saying because it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone? Just leave me alone in my mess. I'd rather serve the Egyptians for, watch, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I can't talk about you because I don't know you that well, but I know JC. Most times when my life has been so messy and I'm surrounded by opposition, I complain to God and question the sovereignty of God and ask him, why, why did you bring me out of that to take me into this? Come on, give me a better amen than that if you've ever been there. God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on. It seems like when it rains, it pours. Come on now. And God, you brought me out of one messy situation and now, now I'm faced with another one and the, the children of Israel in front of them is the Red Sea. Behind them is the Egyptian army and they are, they are faced with opposition. But here's something that you and I, we must learn. Opposition is not always an obstacle. Sometimes opposition is an opportunity. Come on now. See, the problem with you and I is we only see through human eyes. We only see through human lenses. But what God sees and what God is doing is far greater than what you could do through your own power. Come on and help me preach this morning. Come on. Listen to me. And what, and what the Israelites saw as an immovable obstacle became a supernatural opportunity. Let me listen to me. God showed up. And I just want to take a moment real quick and to tell you that whatever opposition you're faced with today, it is not an obstacle. It's an opportunity for God to prove himself to you that he's faithful and he's good. And if God said it, then it shall be done. Come on, both campuses. Give Jesus some thanks. Come on. Stay with me. Let's go back to verse number four, those same chapter, because what the children of Israel didn't know is the promise that God made to their leader, Moses. God said, I am. And I want you to see this. I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I, I will on the count of three, both camps say that two words with me. One, two, three. And if God said it, then he'll do it every time. The Bible says that he is not a man that he should lie. If God says, I'm going to do it, then he's going to do it. The problem is, is that so many of us, and let me step on some toes for just a minute, we don't like his timeline. But God's delays are not his denials. And in the middle of your mess, if God said, I'm going to bring you out and there's going to be deliverance, somebody just hold on. Just wait for just a minute. Come on now. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's hearts. And then he says, but I will let him pursue them. Now watch what he says. He says, I'm going to gain glory for myself. 
some of the messes that you're in, you can't get out of it because if you could get out of it, then you would brag about your own ability. But some of the messes, come on, church. Do you hear the passion from my heart today? Some of the messes that you're in, you cannot get out of yourself. But when God shows up, he's going to get all the glory for the miracle that just, just took place. I'm going to gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army. And watch, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now, this is interesting to me because it's the Israelites who are faced with opposition. And God says, they'll know me, but it's not only about them. I also have the Egyptians in mind. And I just want to encourage somebody, maybe the Meshurin isn't only about you. Is that all right to say? Maybe the mess that you're walking through isn't only about you. I, I know it feels like it's only about you, but there is a world of lost people that are watching how you respond to the messes of life when you claim to have Jesus as the center of your heart. Oh, come on. Come on. This is so good. Now, I'm feeling it now. I'm telling you, today I'm about to preach the paint off the walls. Call the painters, baby. Because tomorrow this auditorium is going to need a new fresh coat. So Moses told the people, don't be afraid. I'm, the next few verses, I'm going to speak over you. Come on, church, both campuses. Don't be afraid. You just stand right where you are and you watch. Come on. You watch and you will see the wonderful way the Lord will rescue you today. He says this. He says the Egyptians, the opposition, the mess that you're looking at, you will never see them again. I've come to declare in the name that is above all names, the opposition that you see today. When you stand back and you watch God do the miracle, you will never deal with that mess again. Come on and give Jesus some thanks. Woo! Come on, I'm about to take five seconds here and just give God some praise. Oh, hallelujah. Here's what he says. He says, the Lord will fight for you. What, you try, what are you trying to fight the mess for? I love you enough to tell you, you got yourself in the mess. Now, the Lord will fight for you. And Moses said to the people, you don't even need to lift a finger. I don't lift a finger. You just stand where you are and you watch. Now watch what he says in verse 15, because tomorrow at your job, at some point you'll be taking lunch, standing around the water cooler. Somebody's going to ask you, how was church? And you'll say, I, want, I go to go church. Come on, somebody. And they're like, go church? What's go church? Now I'm biased in both of our campus locations in those counties. God is doing a lot of great things in his churches, but there ain't no church like go church. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. They're going to ask you, church was good. Oh, church was so good. What'd you learn? And this is going to get really awkward because you're going to have to figure out a way to explain to them that your pastor told you that you need to quit praying and get moving. And I'm telling you, some of you, you need to quit praying and get moving. Now, the irony in that is I've called it 21 days of prayer and fasting. But what I've learned real quick on day number nine is some of y'all aren't praying prayers of righteousness. You're just treating God like the old wise village man sitting at his feet complaining about why he didn't do what you told him he needs to do on the timeline that you asked him to do it. And God says, hey, stop praying and get moving. And I love this. He says, forward march. Why? Because God is telling you, I don't want you to be concerned about the opposition. I want you to know that it's an opportunity. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And God is saying, hey, 
Quit praying your prayers of complaints. Put one foot in front of the other and you march towards the mess. And as you walk towards the mess, God will provide a miracle. Come on, church. Woo. Oh, man. Yeah, that means tomorrow at the doctor's visit, some of you need to walk right into that doctor's office and be like, hey, I've come here to do one thing. I'm just going to stand and watch God show up. He says to Moses, the Lord, use your rod. What's in your hand? Use your rod. Hold it out over the water and the sea will open. And the path before you and all the people of Israel shall walk through on dry ground. Let me tell you, that's exactly what happened. As they, as they stopped their complaining and they forward marched by faith, all of a sudden the Red Sea opened and they walked through on dry ground. And listen to me, God split that sea for them and he'll split your sea for you. You just, you just keep moving forward. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You keep believing that God is able to do everything he said he will do. You just, every day you get up and you pray. Every day you get up and you read the Bible because what you see is not all there is. God is moving on your behalf and God is up to something great. And the opposition that's in front of you is just a supernatural opportunity for God to say, hey, here I am. Now watch what I can do. Come on, let me get a drink of water while you praise Jesus. Come on, church. Oh, come on, if you're going to clap, let's clap well. Come on. Yeah, he's about to show up. And when God shows up, he shows out. Woo! I said, when God shows up in your mess, God shows out. And maybe the mess... Maybe the mess is so that God could reveal his glory. Oh, I'm running out of time. I wish we had more time. Thank you. I'm going to take it. Thank you. Um, I think about Lazarus. Lazarus, one of the best friends of Jesus. The Bible tells us in the story of Lazarus that Lazarus became ill and he died. And when Jesus found out, Jesus said these words. Listen to me. He said, this sickness will not lead to death, but it will be used to reveal my glory. So Jesus shows up on the scene, but the problem is, is that Jesus is four days too late because Lazarus has been dead for four days. There's some, there's some messes in my own life that I'm thinking, God, where, where are you at? You going to show up? You know, like any minute now, because it's feeling impossible. God works in the impossible. Well, when Jesus shows up on the scene, one of the sisters of Lazarus runs to him. And what does she do? Complain. She said, where have you been, Jesus? Lazarus is dead. And he says, where is he? Are you hearing me? Where is he? She showed them the, the tomb with the, the stone in front. And verse 35 of this particular passage says that Jesus wept. And that's so important because it shows that God has a heart for humanity, for his children, that he's not some disconnected, far-off God. No, he cares about the messes of your life. And then Jesus says, remove the stone. Oh yeah, remove the stone. See, it would have been an impossible situation to remove the stone by human power and to bring a dead man back to life. But when God showed up, God showed up. And I was gonna say something to you. The mess of your marriage, it may seem dead, but Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And the miracle in your marriage can happen. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say to you? Come on now. Nudge somebody and tell them, say, this is good. Come on, tell them it's good. Now nudge somebody else and say, and it's free. Come on. Ooh. 
Oh, yeah, let me give you this. Three reasons that you can trust God with your mess. Three reasons you can trust God with your mess. Here's the first one. He already knows that you're a mess. I hope that encourages you. <laughs> he knows that we're a mess. You know, whatever, whatever the situation in your life is today that you brought in to go church, I want you to know something. It may have surprised you, but it never surprised God. Whatever the pain that you're dealing with, it, it may have caught you off guard. It may have shocked you, but, but God is, God already, he already knows. He, gave, he revealed two missions in John 10.10. 10. He said the enemy's primary purpose is to come to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come to run into the mess of your life and give you life more abundantly. He already knows that you're a mess. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 139, which I think is such a beautiful a chapter of realizing how much God really does know about us. Because in Psalm 139, David talks about God. He says, you know, you know where I've been. You know where I'm going. You know what I've done. And you know what I'm about to do. He said it like this. He said, he said, oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. And, and, and you know what? Uh-oh. See, he knows it all because he is all. David said, you know, when I sit, you, you know, when I stand. And then he says, you know, my every thought. David said, you chart the path ahead of me and you tell me where to stop and where to rest. And I want both campuses. Let's read this highlighted yellow uh, verse together. One, two, three. Every moment, you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. See, God, God's not surprised at your mess. God's not shocked at what you're going through. He knows it. Listen to me. Let me say it to you like this. He knew the doctor's report before the doctor knew it. He knew the unexpected bill before the mail carrier delivered it. He knew, he knew the separation before it came. He, he, knew the, he knew the job loss before the pink slip was in your mailbox. Now, that's encouraging to know that there's a God who knows all about me and he sees everything that I go through. And just like over Lazarus, he has wept, he weeps over you. And you might be thinking, well, if God knows all and he already knows that I'm messed up, why can't he just step in and fix it? Well, yeah, that's a good question, but that's later in the message. So you're going to have to stick around. But I will give you a little teaser here, a little appetizer. God is up to something in the middle of the mess. But don't get it twisted. God knows that you're messed up. Here's the second thing, though, that you need to know about trusting God with your mess. God's in the business of cleaning up messes. Oh, come on. Give me a better amen. This is what he does. How, how, do, I, uh, how do I summarize God's job description? You summarize it by knowing that he's in the business of cleaning up messes. Most of you know this. Uh, my wife, Kimberly, and I, we got two kids. We got a, a nine-year-old son who's turning 10 in just a couple of weeks. We have a four-year-old girl that will be five in a couple of months. Now, in a house of an almost 10-year-old and an almost five-year-old, we know all about messes. Come on, parents, where are you at? Now, the messes, the messes are constant. Just a big shout out to moms. 
Y'all hold it down. Come on, somebody. Like, in my house, we have a rule. Kimberly can never get sick or take a vacation. Come on now, somebody. <laughs> because just like when, when, she's not, when she's not actively involved, it's just chaos. A little funny story about one of my friends. He, uh, he's got uh, three kids, and his wife is a stay-at-home mom. And one day after work, he showed up in the house as a wreck. And he said to his wife, he said, what did you do all day? So the next day, she showed them what she did the day before. And the kids were wild. They hadn't brushed their teeth, hadn't combed their hair. There was spaghetti on the walls. Come on, thank God for women. Thank you so much. But I'm obsessive compulsive. I, I like things neat and orderly and organized. And so when the messes show up in my house, it creates some anxiety. But, but we have fallen in love with one of the most iconic uh, cartoon characters that deal with house cleaning, Mr. Clean. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Mr. Clean, you know? Mr. Clean gives you the magic eraser. Mr. Clean gives you the wipes so you can wipe down and disinfect the countertops. Even if your floors need mopping, Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. On Mr. Clean's website, it says that his product is three times stronger than other products. But there is a significant difference between Mr. Clean and Jesus Christ. See, Mr. Clean uses bleach. Jesus uses blood. Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah. Mr. Clean's three times stronger power might be able to take care of earthly problems, but Jesus said, I'll offer you the Holy Ghost. Come on. Holy Spirit power. Yeah, you better, somebody better tweet me today on that. That's good. Mr. Clean uses bleach. Jesus uses blood. And Jesus is in the business of cleaning up the messes because here's why. God works best in your mess. I think sometimes for whatever reason, we think that God is afraid of our messes. Find one time in the Bible where the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, all of the messes that were presented to him, not one time in scripture do you see where Jesus viewed the messes of people as an interruption to his work. The messes were his work. God sent his son Jesus to show that he will run into the mess. He doesn't work around the mess. He works best in the mess. And listen to me. Let, let me talk to some of y'all for a minute because you need to hear this. Don't come into Go Church or whatever other church and act like you're the only one with a messy life. Don't rob me of my stupidity. Come on, somebody. Oh, no, I make, I make my own messes. Because again, not all messes are from God and not all messes are from the enemy. Sometimes JC is just an idiot. Don't say amen. Kimberly on the front row, amen. Be some cleaning in the house today. Now the Bible says this, that we have all messed up. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Let me give you some good news. That means if you think your mess is messy, the person next to you is way more jacked up than you are. Come on now. Yeah, look at him and say, he's talking about you. And for some of you, that, that's your spouse. Say, the pastor said it. Yeah, some of you think, you're, you're, you think your family's dysfunctional? They got a guy behind you. Because we all got messes. So don't, don't rob me of my messy situation because I know that in that, God is wanting to do something in me. I think about in the Bible, some, some individuals that got into a mess of their own. Noah was a drunk, built the ark, 
got off the boat, got wasted. Two by two brought the animals. Y'all didn't know he brought Jack Daniels with him. Come on now. God saved his family. He saved Jack and Daniel. That's funny. God was drunk. He was a drunk. Jacob was a cheater. Jo- Joseph's mess. You think your family's dysfunctional? Have they buried you in a pit? Somebody said, yeah, I'm sorry. We have counseling here at Go Church. We're going to help you through that. I don't know if the book or this sermon can help you, but no, he was, his, his brothers threw him into a pit and then they sold him into slavery. They tricked his father by dipping his coat of many colors into blood to think that he was dead. And then, and then he was sentenced to prison. Moses, talk about a mess. He had a physical uh, situation with the stammering tongue. And then Moses willingly was mistreated along with the people of and the children of Israel. Gideon was insecure. You think, well, how is insecurity a mess? Because for some of you, you're so insecure in who you are that you're not saying yes to what God is calling you to do. And the Bible says in James that if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. And when you sin, you make a mess. Samson was the strongest man in the world. And yet he was weak to a woman. David? The Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. And yet David was a murderer and David had affairs. I don't know if you know this or not. David broke half of the Ten Commandments. And God says, that's a man after his own heart. I know I'm not supposed to compare, but I'm doing pretty good compared to David. Come on, because I ain't killed nobody yet. Come on. Y'all act like you ain't ever want to be. Anyway, crazy drivers in this world. That's a joke. It's a joke. No, it's not. You're right. It's not. No, it's not. I'm a mess. But my mess matters. Two things these individuals have in common. All of them were in a mess, right? All of them. By, by our standards, come on, be real. By our standards, every one of these individuals would be exempt from being uh, used by God for significant things. A drunk, a cheater, a adulterer or murderer, someone that wrestled with lust. So that they were all in a mess. But here's the good news, and you need to hear this. You've heard it before, many of you. God, God does not call the qualified. God just qualifies those that he calls. And God, God knows about your mess, and God says, if you'll just bring your mess to me, I'll clean up that mess, and I'll use it for, for my glory. So later on, when you read about these individuals, go in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. In the Hall of Faith as Christians, we look to it as the heroes of the faith. Those, those who we can exemplify our lives after, they are an example. And in Hebrews chapter 11, notice the messes of these individuals. And what does Hebrew 11 say? By faith, Noah. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, Gideon. By faith, Samson. By faith, David. I've just come to encourage somebody to tell you that if you'll recognize that God knows all about your mess, and if you'll give him your mess, God will clean up the mess, and he will set you on a path to promote you to your destiny and purpose in Christ Jesus. Come on right here, church. Woo. 
High five three people. Tell them, say, my mess matters. Come on, tell them, my mess matters. Come on, tell them like you mean it. My mess matters. Oh, yeah. Is this good today? Am I doing the book justice? Come on. Got to read that book, y'all. Listen to me. A third reason that you can trust God with your mess. Because your mess will become your message. Your mess will become your message. I'm about to say something. I I hope I don't regret it because it's not from a place of haughtiness or arrogance because if you know me, God has really stripped a lot of that away from me. But I know that I'm anointed. I know it. I know that I'm called by God. I know it. Because I've been through some messes. And in the middle of the messes, I didn't see the silver lining in the moment. I didn't see what God was up to in the moment. I was 13 when my dad died. I thought my world was over. Ran away from home and got lost into a, to a life of addiction. Waking up not knowing where I was. It was a mess. Ah, pardon me. And in the moment, I I didn't know what God was up to. But I'm going to be 40 years old this year. Come on now, 40. And I have declared that God has been really faithful over my life. When I thought it was over, when I, when I tried to take my own life, when I tried to drink the pain away, God, God was doing something. And listen to me, I got to make a point here because time's running out. And this isn't, you know, free therapy for me, so. But it's my sermon. My sermon is not what I say. My sermon is the life that I live. The the greatest message I will ever preach is not the words that come out of my mouth on this platform. And, And I'm telling you, like the Apostle Paul, I do not speak with wise and intelligent words. No, it's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Listen to me. God took an uneducated, unqualified young man named JC, and in September of 1999, he looked at my mess, he looked at my faults, he looked at my sin, and from his righteous right hand, he reached down from heaven, he picked me up out of that pit of despair, and he said, JC, I'm going to place my anointing on your life, and if you give me your mess, I'll take you places no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind can know what God has in store for you. If you'll just walk by faith, not by sight. JC, move forward. Move forward. Listen to me. I I say this often, and and you, you don't know. You don't know what I pray before I get up on this platform. My number one prayer is, God, however you could use me, I just want to introduce people to the Jesus that I found. Because the Jesus that I found cleaned up my mess. Come on now. 
and he turned my life around and he set my feet on solid ground. And I am not the same JC at 39 and a half years old that I was in high school. No, God has done a great work on the inside of me. And my mess became my message. So when you lose a loved one, I know how to have empathy because I've lost loved people. When you wrestle with addiction, I know the stronghold of that because I've been there, done that, and bought into the lies. And I just wonder, maybe the mess is because God wants it to be your message. Listen to me. You don't get a testimony without a test. So you can't give a message without some mess. Come on now. Paul says it like this. We rejoice in our messes. We rejoice in our message. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And listen to me, in the middle of your mess, hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Oh, oh God, I hear you, Lord. Listen to me. You feel at rock bottom, but listen to me because I've been there. Rock bottom's not the worst place to be because there's only one way out and out is up. Come on now. Up. You can get out of it. I got, I got to move. I've told you this before, but my brother is a farmer and uh, like I'm talking like boots, overalls, animals, redneck. Come on now. Some of y'all from Sonoa, you know what I'm talking about? That's the town, Germantown, that's the town here, Sonoa. So I know you don't believe that my brother's a farmer because I look all, you know, But watch this, I got proof. This Thanksgiving, we went to the farm. Took my son Lake, my daughter London, and we went to the farm and his, his number one crop is strawberries. As a matter of fact, 2020, they will pick one million pints of strawberries at my brother's farm. Here's what that means. It means that some of y'all this year, you will eat strawberries straight from my brother's farm and you didn't even know it. And you're going to wonder, how do I know if this is the strawberry? When it hits your mouth and you feel the Holy Spirit, that's when you know. Come on. Oh, God. What, is, what was that? It's my brother's strawberry. I always say they put sugar water in that water, but I'll tell you what they really use. So you got Lake here and then you got London. They're going out. They're picking all the strawberries. Funny thing is, is that Lake was on a mission to get as many pints of strawberries as he could. London was on a mission to eat as many strawberries as she had you know, red all over her face. And I told her, I said, baby, you, you can't eat those. We got to wash those off. And my brother, he started laughing and he said, come on, man. He reached down, took a bite. This is what he said. It's just manure. <laughs> London, stick out your tongue right now. Mr. Clean wipes, Mr. Clean wipes on that tongue in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just manure. Now, you know this, listen to me, because I'm coming to a close. Manure is the best fertilizer. Hear me, you want the greatest crop? You gotta use some waste. You wanna reap the harvest? It's gotta be fertilized with some manure. Are you hearing me? And in Luke's book, here's how he worded it, and I loved it so much I had to quote him. Messes are miracle-making fertilizer. So don't focus so much on the mess that you miss the miracle. Isn't that good? 
Hey, whatever the situation, it's just, hear me, this is going to be funny, but it's going to be helpful. Whatever you're going through, it's just, it's just manure. It's just manure. But God will use that. The Bible says that what the enemy meant for evil, God will make good. And here's what I've learned. Watch, God will use the mess to grow you the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at 39 and a half years old, here's what I've learned. I'm not, I, how do I say it? I think I'm more afraid of my blessings than my messes. I want God's favor on my life. I want his blessing on my life. But blessings, abundant blessings, at least for my personality, tend to make me think that I've done something. And I start to lean on my own understanding and my own successes and my own wisdom. But messes, I have grown more through the messes of life than I have through the blessings in life. James says it this way, and I think it's important to hear what he says because this is the brother of Jesus. And he says, hey, brothers and sisters, when messes of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great. When's the last time a mess showed up and you said, yes. Come on, dab on it. Oh, we don't do that. Now, we don't consider the troubles of life great joy. We complain. We complain. We mope, we cry, and we wonder, God, where are you? I got to be done. Let me show you this story. Uh, you'll enjoy this picture right here. I read this story, and I wanted to share it with you because I think it's a great way to close. So one, one night in the middle of the night, a farmer heard the terrifying scream coming from the lips of his donkey. So the farmer gets up out of bed and he puts his boots on, his overall on, puts a cowboy hat on, puts a piece of straw in his mouth. It's pitch black in the middle of the night, so he's going to follow the terrifying cry of the donkey to see what's going on. So after some time, he's led to the well in the farm and he assesses the situation. The donkey somehow has escaped from its pen and he's fallen into the deep, dark well. So the old farmer stands there trying to figure out what his options are, and he comes to this conclusion. Calls his two sons, and he invites them over. Now three farmers are standing at the top of the well looking into the deep, dark abyss. There at the bottom is this donkey screaming for help and in fear. So the farmer says, guys, the donkey's old. A lot of years on those legs really at this point isn't worth much to me. It'll be too much trouble to try to get the donkey out. So he hands his two sons a shovel and he said, let's just bury them alive. So the three guys, they begin to dig in the dirt and they drop the soil of the dirt on top of the donkey. And every time the dirt hit the back of the donkey, the donkey would scream out in fear because he recognized I'm in a mess and I'm about to be buried in it. And they would shovel and drop the dirt and shovel and drop the dirt. And the donkey was just terrified, afraid. Well, after some time, the old farmer realized, hey, the donkey's not screaming anymore. We must have accomplished our task. But when the old farmer looked into the mouth of the well, what he saw made him drop his jaw in amazement. See, with every bit of dirt, 
With every bit of soil that was thrown on the back of the donkey, the donkey made a choice. He said, I can be buried in the mess or I can shake it off and take a step up. Y'all not gonna help me preach today. He said, I'll just shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up through the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. I've come to declare over you, all you got to do in the mess of your life, shake it off and take a step up. Am I talking to anybody today? Shake it off and step up. Touch three people, tell them, shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up. Well, the old donkey, the old donkey finally found freedom. You got a choice today, and here it is. Do, do you or will you let your mess bury you? Or are you determined to shake it off? Step up. Shake it off. Y'all didn't know I had moves, baby. Come on. And step up. Both campuses, every head bowed, every eye closed. Musicians are coming. I've asked both campuses to sing this chorus. And then your campus pastor will come and give you next steps. Here's the question. Will you let your mess bury you? Or are you determined to shake it off and step up?